Hello and welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the vlogcast that gives you a peek inside the minds of some truly inspirational teachers. During this episode, I sit down for a chat with Jack Harker, a year four teacher and archaeologist from Kent, who shares his experience of teaching in the southeast of England, as well as outlining his take on how time poor teachers can utilise research in the classroom. Whether you're new to teaching or a school leader with tons of experience, then as always, this interview is a must listen. And if you happen to be listening on your preferred podcast provider, don't miss out on the extended cut in which Jack takes on the foundation topic tier list, ranking some of his favourite foundation subject topics. Full interviews are available from the Thinking Deeply About Primary Mathematics YouTube channel or thinkingdeeply.info, where full show notes and references can be found. Now, without further ado, let's spend some time thinking deeply about primary education. Welcome, Jack. It's great to have you here. Um, I'm going to start with Jack in numbers, so you can only answer using numbers. Um, just to get a feel for who you are, where you've come from. So first question is years as a teacher. I couldn't work it out. Uh, it's either 15 or 14, but I couldn't find my, uh, I couldn't find my certificate. <laughs> Number of schools? <laughs> Number of schools, three schools. Last year group taught? Um, it's year four. Favourite year group? Is well, I would have to be four, but I, anything otherwise would I'd probably get in trouble with. <laughs> and most important year group. Do I have to answer this with a number or not? I, <laughs> I think out of every question, that's probably the, the hardest one to answer. Um, am I allowed to say every year group? That's quite a common answer, actually. <laughs> From birth to 99. In the, in the classic board game style age bracket, I think. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, well, I'll maybe push you on that later on. So <laughs> you're currently teaching year four in Northwest Kent. Tell us about your journey and how you got here. So I've, I've always taught in a quite a small sort of area in Kent and... Um, haven't really moved from much from it but within that I've sort of talked from year three to year six and also a number of years in special school as well um, so I started in primary moved to special school and then came back to to mainstream and um, prior to that I failed an engineering degree um, successfully completed an archaeology degree and spent a number of years pottering about doing a, a wide variety of jobs from managing bars to um, CADS drafting to, um, <laughs> to anything really, sometimes two, three jobs at once and then ended up in teaching really. While I was working at a bar I became a TA. So I was a TA by day, um, barman by night. <laughs> and um, then realized that, yeah, that's what I want to be. I want to be a teacher. Um, and, and did my, my PGCE at Avery Hill and came back to Kent where my parents uh, are based and sort of stayed there ever since. Um, when I was younger, I think I had grand plans to live live across the world but sort of managed to managed to get about 10 miles away from home so I, I'm happy with that at the moment. <laughs> There's still plenty of time as well and um, 
So that's really interesting. The jump from mainstream to special school and then back to mainstream. Mm-hmm. Did, that, did that have, how much of an impact did that have on your practice when you came back to the mainstream, having spent that time in the, in special education? Okay. Well, it was quite a funny time really, because I went through a period of sort of six years where I was quite seriously ill and it did affect all my teaching. So my time at um, special school was quite, quite tough. Um, I ended up having quite a serious operation, um, which was successful, but it, it, it's those six years <laughs> sort of t- t- a lot was taken out of me flesh and, um, and mentally as well. Um, and I think it, it, it was like a new start really. Um, and it was a total different place to where I'd, I'd left mainstream, um, a lot different. And initially, initially that was a quite a, quite a big shock. Um, I think I'd sort of left mainstream at, at the time when schools were still st- still still allowed to, to 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 be acceptable and sort of came back and it was a much more pressured pressured environment and and it took a bit of getting used to but I don't I can't see myself going back to special school now when I think at some points in my time there, I couldn't see myself going back to mainstream. <laughs> we'll see what happens in the future. Because things have changed a lot over the last 10 years. And I think um, I think we've done quite well because a lot of the things that we hold dear, you know, in terms of knowledge and academic rigor are sort of front and centre of the conversation. But it's really interesting that you think or that your interpretation is that schools are more pressured now. And um, what do you think drives that pressure? Um, I, I think it's it's Ofsted. Um, the, I think at the time when I left mainstream, it, it was only just beginning to be recognised that lots of schools were sort of coasting along at that sort of second level of Ofsted, which is now um, unacceptable. <laughs> and it's, it, I, th- I think with it, it, it brought a lot of um, sort of pressure on schools, um, some of which adapted brilliantly. Um, some, I think, struggled with that pressure. Uh, I don't think I think I've been lucky enough to work at schools that um, have sort of reduced that pressure on on teachers, um, uh, on on teachers staff, and haven't haven't passed it through. Um, I get you. And one of the things that stands out to me is that maybe ten years ago there was a formula that if you learn the formula, you could get outstanding at Ofsted. But now <laughs> the burden of thought and consideration is on, is on the schools. And um, I think that that's a big difference um, because it was, it was 
I think very easy to play the game in 2008 when I started. You know, you learned the game. Yes. And you were successful in the game. But now I think there's a lot more onus on the schools to decide exactly how they are meeting the the given standards and the and the, the sort of the, the expectations um, from Her Majesty's Inspectorate. Yes, I, I I remember um I remember dressing up as Sherlock Holmes for an Ofsted inspection once. So uh, for a for a computing lesson, no less. <laughs> um <laughs> That they didn't come in, unfortunately. So it was all, all wasted. Deerstalker was nice, though. Yeah, I think there's, there's teachers around the world have nightmares about those kind of lessons. Yes, although I think what hasn't, like, teaching is also amazingly consistent in that the children haven't really changed a lot. And despite sort of the, the, the massive increase in sort of technology used by children over the past sort of six years in particular, they, they do remain remarkably consistent. So, so that aspect of it and sort of the basic classroom practice is, has always remained sort of a constant, really. So, yeah, well, I think that's a really good segue into sort of my first big question. Really, what I'd like to know are what are the four key features of a Jack lesson? You know, if if you describe your teaching in four um, easily digestible points, what what would they be? I, I think it's probably keeping ke- keeping the individual lesson within the sort of the sequence. Um, making clear where that lesson is within the bigger picture, whether that's a unit of maths or whether it's a, a history unit, a, a computing unit, um, making the, 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 the learning explicitly clear what, what we're learning. And I think that that's <laughs> looking back on when I first started teaching, it was sort of that, that very much, activity based and um, what what looks oh someone's observing what activity will make me look brilliant um which, which i was very well i think everyone was very good at it really and um those people perhaps who weren't so good at putting on a show at the time suffered but it's it's what what are we looking at and this is what this is what we're addressing in that lesson and along with that the vocabulary within that lesson um being very explicit about that that's that's something I'm quite interested in at the moment, and trying to keep keep it consistent across every lesson, which which is hard because, especially as in my class, I guess less so this year, but in in past years we've had very very high turnover of pupils. So you've got all these children have been taught in um, taught in different ways, different vocabulary, and it's trying to you have to be so clear um, so, so that so they all understand the same thing and what is meant by everything. So I think perhaps consistency of, of, of language, clarity of what I want them to learn, um, I guess is, is, is a better thing. And, and where that's positioned within the grand scheme of things, whether that's a sequence of lessons or, 
or larger than that. I do like to know what's going on in other year groups. I wish I had more time to, yeah. to do that. Um, and finally, possibly a feature for my lesson is always running over at the end. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. I think traditionally it would be a sign of um, a sign of poor pace, whatever that means, whatever that entails. Um, but I, th I think that I, I think that you have to spend time on things to be able to understand them. And if you don't give that allotted time to things, then you've always got bits of this and you've got bits of that. And that's confusing for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you 100% on that. Um, yeah, I think it's taken a long time for us to get away from the idea that everything that humans know can be put into an hour long slot <laughs> and disseminated within that time. <laughs> you know, so I think, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you can be weeks on the one question. It depends on what the question is or, or the one problem. Um, I'm thinking about maths, obviously, because that's all I think about at the minute. Um, yeah, yeah. Having to have three parts and having to finish in an hour and then it link exactly to the next bit. You know, that, I think that's something that we're mm. slowly but surely getting away from. Um, so I'm totally with you there. And I think the vocabulary is really interesting. Um, so how... And I can see exactly why it's important, you know, obviously having that shared sort of shared language in the class, those shared representations of, of the big ideas. How do you go about making sure that the pupils have that consistent language? What, what are your sort of go-to strategies for, um, for language development in, across the curriculum, really? I, I do find it quite hard in some subjects, mainly because we haven't got that sort of overall picture as a, as a class teacher and you don't have the time especially not this year um to 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 get together and to really hammer out a sort of consistent so scheme of vocabulary really um at the beginning of each unit i do tend to have a big think about the key key what do, what do i want to teach what do i want to teach but I won't have the time to teach what, what can be taught sort of elsewhere in a way. Um, and then going from that, what, what vocabulary do I want to use throughout that? Um, what words, I mean, even, even in terms of um, grammar, children's definitions of adjectives nouns verbs um varies wildly over over what teachers they've had um what, what songs they've sung in in reception in year one and it's and i i would i would love it all to be very very consistent I'd, sometimes i like being told what to do i think grammar is something we want to really scratch the surface on and it's only when you look at other languages, you know, and for instance, how a lot of the grammatical features are indications of mood, you know, and, and they're not being a future tense, so to speak, in the English language. But we don't ever really get near that. Um, but we still go quite deep, I think. Um, 
And so you're absolutely right, because we don't, as adults, go that far, um, then it's very rare that we'll actually go that far with the children, unless we have a particular passion for linguistics and and uh, that kind of, um, those features of the curriculum. Um, yes, yeah, so I think it's really interesting you say that, because it's only through sort of personal interest that I that I'll sort of come to understand the actual depths that some of the things you know, for instance, like the subjunctive and how, you know, we get off pretty lightly with the subjunctive form um, or the subjunctive mood in English. Um, but if you, when you start looking at things like French um, or any of the Romance languages, um, it, it's a totally different story. And actually, I think we'd probably be better prepared for being a multilingual society if we did go a bit further. Um, but yeah, but I think we got to sort out the sort out where we are first before we can <laughs> start dreaming of things like that <laughs> yes and i i have to say that i i've i've never enjoyed learning languages and it's it's and that's possibly why i i seek out those definitions <laughs> i want, want to see it there because because i've i've just tried as you know kieran my wife's French and I've absolutely failed to <laughs> be married for over 10 years and a complete failure in understanding the French language um, French culture the wine I can do the language yeah, I think maybe it's just 10 years of assimilation and you'll, you'll get there eventually positive <laughs> open, open thinking <laughs> and so you utilize a high quality textbook in your mathematics lessons. Have you always yes. used it? Um, and tell us about your process and how you get the most from this resource. So no, I've I'm looking I was thinking about my practice when I first started teaching mixed year three, four class. So quite similar to um to my current role, year four. Um we had mixed ability sets that split for maths but only maths so maths was taught in sort of the higher middle and upper um i i don't remember having anything other than the the the, the lower group and um it was it was totally different i i, I remember struggling with maths and out of all the subjects that I taught when I first started teaching, I think I found maths the hardest. Um, and it was probably something I was least looking forward to going back um, to mainstream. And use, using a textbook, which I'd never done before, was a real eye-opener. It was, for some, it, it took a lot a lot of the load off of me in terms of how do I structure the progression um, instead of going on to um, TES to find reams of the same problem they were there structured and there was a reason for each one so it, it's freeing up my time really to be able to to think about the student's progression through the work and my aims for them 
and what I can do for them as opposed to spending that time thinking about what do I do next? What do, what do I move on for, from? Um, I think that I think they are seen by some as these very rigid articles. Um, <laughs> you must follow this doctrine. You must go. And although there's that clear progression in them, it, it's, I'm I'm sure that there there are people who can come up with equally great examples of of each thing, um, but it would take me absolutely hours and years to produce something like that that wasn't based upon upon the research that that is based on, <laughs> and it's it's having 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 that that time <laughs> to focus on the pupils I, mean, I yeah I, I can't see how you could we, we teach the children and um not to sort of reinvent mathematics curriculum every year and I, I don't I don't I don't know how anyone could sort of argue against that really yeah well obviously I'm a big proponent of of high quality textbooks and um, so when you say it frees up your time to think about the children. So what, what would that entail? What sort of things would you be thinking about um, when you don't have to think about the, the structure of the curriculum or the, or the, the sequence? And what, what sort of things do you, do you then get, have time to really consider? Yes, it's um, the misconceptions, the, the, the children that have frequent sort of misunderstandings are so much easier to pick up on. You've got that time to analyze where they've gone wrong. And once, once you get your head around the, 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 the idea that the questions are in there for a reason and that each one is a almost diagnostic question that that becomes much easier thinking about how you can extend the pupils, um, provide challenge to the most able as always. And th think about sort of how the classes maths work as a whole sort of can <laughs> looks going forward. You, you get a much better idea of your class. Much, I, could, I don't think, looking back, I could have said this person needs to work on this, this person needs to, to work on that without doing a fair amount of assessment, as I think looking at my class now I, I know exactly what each child struggles in I've had that time to really look at their work and 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 know what I need to do to, to make them better and do you think that's because you've been in the same year group for a couple of years now like at what point did you think you became possibly familiar with the with the textbook that actually you were then able to make it your own essentially I think it is it is fairly easy to to pick up a new textbook now. I mean, during lockdown, we had to switch at various points to other other year groups. And I think if you if once you're used to using the textbook, I, I don't think it's that hard. I think that always if you're if you're going up in a year group, it's slightly harder than going down a year group. Um, because there is there is more more content, but I think that it is it is a <laughs> using a textbook's quite easily accessible. Um, I think that possibly the biggest 
obstacle is is sort of teacher mindset sometimes um and the sort of the traditional view of a textbook um certainly teachers probably from my generation as um sometimes teachers who've been teaching for longer than i have are more open to textbooks because um because of the experience they've had in in the past as i've had zero really yeah i think um i think even the most staunch opponents very quickly get on board in my experience because they see all those benefits you've described um, but it, it is shaking that that dirty name that it's got um, and I don't know where that came from but the, I think if you know if you look at the utilization in uh, around the world I think you know we've there's a lot more we can get out of of high quality textbooks and I think any any worries you know I think I said this in the book come from more come from errors of management rather than anything that the textbook itself has done um, yeah so that's it's really good to hear about your experience i think definitely you know it matches up with mine in, t- in terms of i think people get on board very very quickly um, because they see how useful it is and what the pupils can achieve you know and um, certainly whenever i start teaching having to plan anything from scratch it was the the national strategy document um, i wish we'd had textbooks because I had to learn the English. I'd never seen the national strategies when I moved over, and so uh, it would have been really helpful to have a, a more in-depth guide um, than was available at that time. Um, I think I think I've still got it on my shelves somewhere. Yeah, I've got. I've even got the one that they published um, and then didn't use. <laughs> you know, they sent out millions. Collector's of item. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Might put on eBay see what fetches. Tell us about your approach to teaching in the foundation subjects. You know, what are the what are the most important features? How do you plan, and are there differences in the process between subjects? Yes. Yeah, so, being a, a class teacher in primary school, it sort of requires you to know everything, really, doesn't it? And it's um, sort of as I go on through my teaching career I sort of increasingly think that definitely towards the later years of primary school that we should be moving towards a sort of more specialist approach um, but it's there's and I'm, I'm sure there are some teachers out there who are equally good at every single subject amazing at them all or equally bad i guess um but it's it's such it's such a task sometimes sort of to to look at all these subjects and and know everything about them um when you approach planning them and looking at them you've got you've got to think about the pedagogy of each subject as well um which is which is different um but then also the essence of teaching is 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 the same whatever you're teaching so um i think the thing i find most difficult about it is that some subjects in the national curriculum have uh, have explicit skills 
mentioned in the national curriculum as when other subjects are mostly knowledge. I'm using those words very loosely there. For me, it's a, it's a case of, of what, what do I want them to learn? What knowledge do I want to give them by the end of this lesson? Um, and then and then <laughs> and then doing that. So in that respect, I suppose it's not that much different. But it, it's it's how do you, how do you get there in DT, for example? How how do you teach those evaluation skills? How how do you teach those design skills? Um, and how do you sort of ensure the consistency across the subjects as well? Your subject knowledge in in areas like history is in my it's, it's unsurpassed what's your secret <laughs> to developing some areas of history perhaps such a deep and rich bag of knowledge when because that, that allows you to bring the subject to life in the classroom so what, what, what are your tips on on developing that subject expertise because you're absolutely right you have to know so much more um, than we used to yes so uh, playing a lot of pub quizzes helps <laughs> um i think i'm quite lucky in that i've I, I am literally a jack of all trades i think um in the fact that I've, I've got quite a good knowledge of sort of things of almost completely useless facts in which most aspects of life would be completely useless but work quite out quite well when teaching primary school children um I think you've got you've got to have an interest in in story really, and I really dislike the word narrative. But I'm going to use it. So there is a big narrative in in every subject. Um, History is an obvious one, but e- even even in even in DT, there's sort of that 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 curve of of the design process. And um, I think it's to, to increase subject knowledge is, is hard. And I think the main reason it's hard is the lack of time that teachers have, the lack of time that anyone has, really. I think you ask most people, uh, your average man on the street or woman, um, would like to know more about something, but just hasn't got the time to do that. And it's it's trying to find that time, and it's as a teacher, I think it's it's very easy to to look at a certain subject and go straight to certain websites that have a lot of resources. I won't mention any names. Quite often, of which aren't completely accurate as well, um, which is one of my personal bugbears. A lot of subject knowledge can be can be found quite easily um because there although there is a wide range that there isn't there isn't that much in the course of a a school year that, that the children actually have to learn um but it's putting that knowledge into context that's that's the hardest bit and that's the bit that requires a little bit more subject knowledge it's 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 to know knowing which parts of that to select um which parts to leave out which parts don't matter and why they do and don't matter why they do matter um i think that 
history is a good example in the fact in fact there's lots of interesting bits in history but um we can't fit them all in and you have to make that selection as a as a teacher or as a subject lead and you have to have very good reasons to 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 select those those bits um and if you don't have that subject knowledge then that's that task is going to be very difficult uh was watching recent series of science videos on twitter talking about curriculum they're more secondary based but it was very enlightening to see those misconceptions that arise at secondary school because of primary school teaching as primary school teachers we we need to have much more contact with our secondary school colleagues um, in terms of of knowing even what happens at secondary school before before we even consider the subject knowledge components and there's this huge bank of experienced teachers that uh, very little contact with the teachers that are teaching a few months before them and i think that's that's why sometimes you 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 hear secondary teachers talk a little bit disparagingly especially in foundation subjects about um primary school pupils learning and it shouldn't be that way um i'm not saying that they're they're (laughs) they're they're just doing it to be mean they've there's there's um there's there's a there appears to be some sort of definite disconnect there that that's that we that we could work on i think i've come off my subject knowledge i think i put my subject knowledge down to down to being a geek really to be honest i don't know if that's good advice be more geek i don't know <laughs> wanting to know I, I just want to know everything and i think i think that helps i'm one of those weird people who, who won't turn the radio station off because whatever radio station the last person has set it to it's it's always something quite interesting whether that be pop music whether that be radio four five live um anything really yes it's being open i guess yeah that makes sense sorry that was quite meandering no no, that's that's perfect because um i think you know any anything we can do to close that disconnect and close that chasm between the two phases, even though, like you said, there's only a few months between them sometimes is a positive. If, if you were going to restructure the education system in primary to a specialist model, what, what would that model look like? You know, obviously I'm putting on a spot, but what, what, what do you imagine when you, when you think of that? Actually, I was looking, I was thinking about this either this morning or last night. Um, uh, and I, I haven't, I have to say, done much reading into it. And my, my, I was pondering. There's obvious advantages to having a, a class teacher approach, and um, there's obvious advantages to having a specialist teacher approach. Um, and I would think at some point there must be a a tipping point uh, or a perfect allocation of percentage taught by a class teacher compared to a percentage taught by a specialist 
so I, I was wondering what what would how would that look like and I would sort of envision sort of a gradual increase of um, specialist teachers um, going going up the school so by the time they reached year six possibly I'd imagine them to be almost um, very similar to secondary school as down in year one I wouldn't imagine it to be much different to what it is in most schools nowadays um, I think all schools have done a little bit of that anyway I think I think PPA at some schools almost is that um, certainly I know many schools that um, have a language specialist in that time and it's and as far as I'm aware of, children are able to cope with that from quite a young age. Um, it'll just be expanding upon that and perhaps making that transition to secondary a little easier as well. And it's really interesting that you mention misconceptions. I was reading uh, a book by Hector Ruiz Martin, um, and it's, it's basically a, co a cognitive science book for teachers. Um, and he talks about, I think it was either Stanford or Harvard. And when they tested their, their graduates, when they were asked about what creates the seasons, he talks about that they said it was because the earth was closer to the sun, um, which isn't, which is, is, that's a misconception, isn't it? Um, it's about the angle. Um, I don't know, you're looking at me as if I'm wrong, Jack. But either way, there's a study. Yeah, no, 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 yes. You know, so it's a Yes, and I think, I think that's what most people say, yeah. Yeah, um, but it's really interesting that um, that's clearly a problem even for the most affluent um, and yeah. and sort of well-educated of us um, that, that we can't escape those misconceptions. So maybe it's a it's a focus on how we how we structure the education system that that's needed. You know, not just in England, but yeah. if that study comes from the United States, perhaps there too. Because my I, I I've. I have heard of that study and one of my initial thoughts of that was was it's it's us that's getting closer or nearer to the sun it's where you are isn't it so um the in well it's almost almost the shortest day of the year so we're at our furthest point here almost at that point and um, where we're tilted away from the sun but it always strikes me is is that sort of it's confusion between oneself and the earth. So it's almost, almost uh, a human view of it. It's um, you are the center of your earth, aren't you? Um, so you are <laughs> almost getting closer or further away. Uh, and I, I, I don't, I, I always wonder if it thinks that that's a sort of a, a, almost semantics or rather than conceptual errors, but uh I think in the, in the diagrams I've seen, they thought the Earth's orbit was cl was in, in at one point closer. It's closer. All right, be closer to the sun as part of its elliptical orbit. All right, rather than yeah, that's a different matter anyway. Closer, <laughs> you know, because we are technically closer. I think I just didn't describe it properly. And um, you know, then one diagram I saw, the Earth had it almost like um like an oval shape, and during the summertime it was closer. But actually, it's the the angle and the amount of spread isn't it as to you know there's 
more heat coming onto a smaller surface yeah. during the during the summertime. Yeah, and yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, um, and it is. I think it raises the point as well. If if when you're studying these things, you've only got a, in, in the entire hit your entire education history. You've only got a short time to spend doing doing each thing, and we have to consider that that, that time is really precious. If you've only got a few weeks to learn about the solar system and that's going to be the only time you look at it in the whole of your primary possibly only the course of your whole education then it is really important um and so i think sometimes we sort of underestimate the importance of the of that um certainly when it comes to doing things like the romans which as far as i'm aware aren't repeated at any point you've got that one term and that's it so that's that's the entirety of what you'll learn about the romans in that in that one term uh, <laughs> which is it's, it's a little scary come to think of it um so you are solely responsible for any misconceptions that those children will hold about the romans um, think of the fun you could have with it <laughs> That's a, that's a terrifying way to describe it, Jack. <laughs> See, you, ha you have responsibility um, for a few loosely connected subjects. How do you lead for school-wide change, you know, in science, for instance? And is there a difference between your approach in science and, say, computing? Yes, so I, I lead on both science and computing, and there's there's a big difference. I think that science has had a clear scheme in place as um, a few years ago, um, computing as it, it is in the um, newer curriculum was non-existent. Um, so it's, it's coming from those two, two areas. What do you need to improve standards in those subjects but your start off is completely different ways the starting points much different so in in science for example everybody knows what they're doing but possibly not doing it in the the, the best way or the way that i might want them to do them do it in or or concentrating on the possibly the wrong aspects, um, as in computing, for example, I knew that sort of the, the computer science aspect was completely missing, really. Um, so in, in one case, you're trying to change practice, and in the other case, you're trying to introduce practice. Um, and I think introducing it's easier. <laughs> So my approach there was to introduce little bits, um, start off with something that was very, I suppose, trying to, to use online tools in the same way that we utilized the textbooks in maths, was finding something that provided those small steps and clear modeled instructions that teachers could also model. So you could, do, you could follow a clear sort of I do, we do, you do. Um, process within that um, and then once you've built up that teacher knowledge 
again going back to vocabulary the sort of knowledge of what coding is knowledge of what an algorithm is um asking teachers about their subject knowledge was quite illuminating um Again, some of the older teachers um, remembered doing coding on the BBC computers, sort of must have been back in the early 80s, um, which is, <laughs> and actually had much more knowledge than than teachers from my generation, um, which, was, which was quite interesting. Um, it, comparing that to science, science... Is, was more looking at how can we do it better? How can we make sure that our practical work in science, which we which we have to do, um, I feel, I know that there is a school of thought that says that um, we should reduce all practicals. But as long as as long as that practical work and that those those working scientifically strand is in there in the national curriculum. Um, it's it's something we have to do but how do we how do we make those as as targeted as possible how do you make those as effective as possible to achieve specific aims um so reducing the amount of of reducing the amount of learning in it really um not doing a practical to teach new things but to do a practical to reinforce scientific concepts while teaching um but the actual thing you're teaching is the practical work whether that's be to measure something or to be just to be identify what a variable is for example and that's your focus for your practical work as opposed to trying to teach children that sound is a wave through a practical um just the, the load is too great <laughs> um but yeah working on individual improving practice um within a subject that teachers are much more confident in um i found to be trickier than introducing something new i think i think you'll always have um have have a resistance to, to 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 most things to change from in, in any any area of life really i know myself I, I i like things to be the same i like to exist within my own area <laughs> own little bubble i don't I don't want it to change um and i think that that that's when you're trying to change something that's much more embedded i think it's harder than trying to introducing something new and i think that the history of of sort of education in this country has sort of scared off a lot of teachers from change and new things as well um going towards sort of evidence-led practice i think there is there is a certain resistance not because of the evidence um, but because of the change aspect and having seen so many things sort of go th pass through, um, I think there's teachers, some teachers are worried, <laughs> is this another one of these things? And in another few years, I'll, um, we'll be 
go the way, same way as learning styles and brain gym. Um, obviously, I'd like to think not. <laughs> um, hoping not, but um, I, th I think it is a very real worry for, for, for some. And I think that's something when you're, when you're implementing change subjects that you have to take into account um and and i think that uh, needs 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 the support across the school which school i'm working at I've, i think we've got yeah i think that sometimes um it's it's <laughs> it's we, we don't we don't apply the 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 um things we do in the classroom to teachers learning as well when when we, we we are we are still learners we need that success probably need a certain degree of difficulty as well um and yeah it's uh so we we, we want all of those those things and and needed need to be guided and um I guess yeah we need we need to obtain that high high success rate of teaching in terms of ourselves as well yeah i'm convinced there's not much difference in supporting adults and or supporting teachers and teaching children you know a lot of the principles will generalize precisely um, yeah so yes yeah yeah, I to totally agree. So you've recently begun to re-engage with reading about education. Why? I, 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 you said um, re-engage. I, I, I would miss out the prefix, to be honest. I don't. I think even when I was doing well, possibly because I was doing a PGCE, um, I, I, I don't. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think I, I ever really engaged in it in the first place. Um, That's fair. But continue. Sorry. So, why do you do, why do you do it, and how do you find the time with so much else going on? I, I think the time is a is a big problem. I've got two two children, um, one still at um, preschool, and. I've I've tried in recent years to to reduce sort of my workload um, to, to to do more things myself and family, and so time is a big pressure. But I've also found that what what I'm always looking for is things that will make me more effective. And if I'm more effective, then I'll also be more efficient and therefore have more time. <laughs> so. I think time spent is probably gives a good return. Um, I, I think the reason why is because I've, I've from A levels, I've always studied science. Um, even though I've got an archeology span degree, it's a BSc. And I think it's, it's so many things I've sort of read have been sort of justified things I've thought. It's sort of niggling things that I've thought. And that that sort of encouraged me to, to, to read, read on. And it's always wanting, I guess, to be the 
best that you can do. I don't, I've, I've never been a very ambitious person, but I do like to do my best. And although I definitely find, I think everyone at some points finds things, some things hard. I think that's natural. Um, but you, but you want, you want to, you want to become better at your work and <laughs> that little time I have, I want to spend it reading something that will make me more effective and is proven to make me more effective as opposed to something that might want to make me more effective, might make me more effective. And it's interesting. Um, I don't think I, when I first started teaching, I really enjoyed teaching the children. I was never interested in in research behind it. I, I I don't think my tutors at university were that interested in teaching me the theory behind it either. To be honest, I think it was it was it was a very much sort of vocational teaching, I guess, in a way, um, less academic, which. <laughs> sort of disconnected with the paperwork that you had to do as well but um that yeah the reason i look at it now to to, to make myself better to, to to make myself more effective and to make my pupils lives better i guess in the end when it all comes down to is that you want to do the best as a teacher i don't i don't think many many teachers would would be teachers if they didn't believe in doing the best they could for the children um, and best to do for, for in, in terms of the whole educational system, really. We're, we're, I think the, you're, you, you want to make children's lives better. You want to make society better and that you have a responsibility to do the best that you can and to be, to be the best teacher that you can be. Um, may not always be <laughs> the best you want to be may not always reach that point but um, to do that most effectively then you you, you can't just do what you want <laughs> or what feels right which um, I think has been the case and it's it's, it's very interesting and and worthwhile to get involved in 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 that research i find it fascinating and um, i think it's really it really interests me that that's not a universally adopted position um, and it's it's not necessarily everyone's first port of call and um, i think time has a lot to do with it and um, yeah so i i hope that people go through PGCs now or teacher training now through various avenues have the chance to engage with sort of literature that will keep them going throughout their careers because I think like you say we're all better served and most importantly our pupils are better served by having the most effective teachers possible so yeah I, I totally agree with you there and so every guest is asked about their research thunderbolt so that is the standout paper that, you know, in the Godfather part two, um, you were awoken from your slumber and <laughs> the world, the world was completely different. What, what would your thunderbolt be? 
See, I, I was I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, I, I'm. <laughs> I guess I, I feel I, I've I've been awoken slowly and gradually in a in a, a kind of nice kind of uh, like, like a, a bear arising from hibernation and wandering around for a little bit before. Um... <laughs> so I, I I guess. I guess there was. I, I feel more like I was sort of drip fed into it, um, having 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 reading little bits at a time. I've I've never been able to concentrate very well on academic papers. I find it really hard to 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 read read through them. Um, so I think it was. Constant little realizations, definitely. I think that the the, the real uh, probably a couple of books really that that someone had left lying around the staff room. I wonder who that could have been. And um, starting off with the maths and Craig Barton's book, um, how I wish I'd taught maths, and just and just reading snippets of that and then expanding from there really. Um, I, I don't think there was one big wow moment um, throughout it. Sort of throughout my, <laughs> um, I think it's sort of a lot. A lot of things that didn't didn't quite sit right in the past, and you sort of did thing, and you go ah, and um, um, uh, multitudes of them, I guess, rather than <laughs> one big wow moment um i understand that and and every, every response to that question is different and i think yeah you're right quite often some of the things that we know are reasonably counterintuitive and so it, it, it does take multiple readings sometimes of different from different authors to, to sort of con convince us that something's worth sort of an avenue worth going traveling down but if if I can push you on this one, is there an academic paper that every primary teacher should read? Yeah, so I'm, yes, I, I think that my, my choice for that would probably be the principles of instruction, Barrett Rosenshine, um, possibly through the medium of, of Tom Sherrington's blog post on it, because that, because that's really good. <laughs> Um, so, I think it's got Ollie Cab's graphic on it as well. Um, yeah, I, I would say that that sort of as a starting point, as a for, for every everything that you teach, really. Before I read it, I'd probably heard of bits of it, and it sort of put it all together. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's what I'd choose. If I had to go back, I'd probably tell my younger self to read that first. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it, it's it's clear and concise. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and you've got a lot of information in a very small space, which is exactly what you need if you're time poor. Yes, I was going to say. Your practice. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's it's that sort of thing that's been really helpful to me. Um, I think that sort of... The, the walkthrough book is excellent for that as well. Um, although 
sort of combining a huge amount of information um, into easily digestible chunks. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jack, um, and fascinating from start to finish. Thank you very much for giving us your time today. Right, thank you, Kieran. And there we have it, a truly fascinating chat full of superb insights into the world of primary education. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow or leave a review, depending on where you're listening. And if you have any questions for any of my guests, head over to the Thinking Deeply About Primary Mathematics YouTube channel and leave a comment and let the conversation continue long into the night. Until next time, thanks for listening.